Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sage Care, a podcast where I'll take you on my own personal journey of healing, growth, acceptance, trauma, resilience, change, oppression, resistance, childhood trauma, suppression, shame, stigmas, mental health, PTSD, first responders, lack of voice, gaslit by media, gaslit by employer, suicide, lack of accountability, meditation, how the medical system deals with PTSD and chronic pain, shame, colonization, parenting, teens, the criminal justice system, holistic, spirituality, intergenerational trauma, anxiety, depression, emotions and feelings, disconnected, lost soul, homelessness, and this is just to name a few. I'm your host and creator, Carolyn Royer. Music composed and played by Alexi Brunette Royer. Breathe new life into flow. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sage Care, a podcast where I take you on a journey of healing, growing, self-acceptance, and a whole lot of exploration. Welcome to episode five, where I'm going to be diving into anxiety. I'm addressing anxiety because over the years, I found that there really is a whole lot of lack of understanding of what anxiety is really about. It's not just things that are going on in your head. Over the years, um, the anxiety theme just kept coming up for me, and I noticed that I wasn't the only one who was suffering from it within my family, but there were several family members who were also suffering from anxiety, but nobody talked about it. So personally, I struggled with anxiety my whole life. As a child, I was extremely shy and withdrawn, and I worried a lot. I was at the doctor's frequently with whether it be ear infections, stomach problems, breathing problems, lung problems, hearing problems, heart problems, you name it, I was there. Mostly the same doctor. And I have to say, not once did anyone ever explore the issue of whether or not I was suffering from anxiety or did they even address any of the red flags of abuse. So when I was in high school, I would get these these hives all over my body, and I really would have a difficult time breathing. And it was almost like the way I would explain it was it, like when I'd have an attack, it would either be I would itch on my skin in a certain area, or sometimes it would feel like I was itching in my chest, like inside in my lungs. And, and so I would cough a lot as well. And I'd go to the doctors and they'd give me Benadryl. 
And this also happened <laughs> my first year of university. Um, and it wasn't until I was older that the it started to click for me. Okay, this, <laughs> this is an allergies. Um, but my first year of university and my family doctor once again prescribed Benadryl stating that it was because I've had, I have allergies and that's why I'm having these hives. And, uh, and I have to say that taking Benadryl your first year university, like first thing in the morning and all my courses were like at eight, eight thirty in the morning. So I had to get up early anyway and get myself to, to school. But now I was taking this Benadryl so that I didn't have to scratch myself raw in my classrooms for the day only and I'd literally be half asleep and drained of energy by the time I made it to my class Uh, it was exhausting and by the time I was into my second semester my first year I was literally just surviving and when you're in survival mode you're no longer in your cognitive thinking process you're just surviving and I have to say that my survival mode probably kicked in for me uh, within the first month or two of my first year of university, which makes it very difficult learning uh, the materials that you're trying to learn when you're not in your cognitive brain. And the other thing that I would have is what I call them, and I used to call them, um, or as I got older, I called them mini panic attacks. And what would happen is they would start with this like pain in my chest, and I didn't understand it when I was younger, but there was this um, this pain in my chest where it was tightening, it would tighten up and it would feel really restrictive. And you would get into this panic because you're like, oh my God, I can't get my breath to my lungs. And I remember this happening once at the supper table and being told flat out, we don't do that shit here. So in the middle of this mini panic attack, or what I called a pan, I don't know if it was mini or not. I called it mini because I was trying to control it. Um, I had to figure out how I was going to breathe. And I guess you can say that this would have been the beginning of my mindfulness breathing. Um, And so without looking like um, I was, and literally I had to use this without looking like I was upset or that I was in distress. Because if I did look upset or if I acted upset, then that would just escalate the anger that was already present. So I taught myself around, I would have been between 10 and 12. I taught myself how to focus on my breath internally by taking these mini breaths to get out of the panic attack. And now what I would do is I would just focus on my breath and it was almost like I would take these mini breaths inside. It felt like inside my throat just to help get it down to my lungs. And I remember feeling really scared and alone because, and this is when it's like, what is wrong with me now? Why am, why am I going through this? And why, what do I need to do to figure this thing out? And I didn't make the connection with panic attacks for a long time because I think the way I rationalized it, because I was in also when I was in high school, I'd witnessed somebody have a full outblown panic attack at a volleyball tournament and they were stretchered out. Ambulance came, they were stretchered out. And that just wasn't me. So that just kind of reinforced that, okay, I have this under control because I was in control of them. 
and I didn't have any what I thought medical issues. I can control this, this, whatever's going on. And so for years, I'd convinced myself, yeah, I have this under control. This isn't, yes, I'm suffering from some anxiety, but I use the techniques that I was taught over the years from a more cognitive learning teaching experience. And I found that sometimes it helped, but most of the times it didn't. And when anyone did try to talk about anxiety, whether it be within my family or friends or anybody that I knew, it was usually just shut down completely. And the words that I would hear when anxiety would come up, and I still hear it now, it's all bullshit. It's full of shit. It's all in your head. Get over it. What's wrong with you? Just suck it up. It will go away. And unfortunately, I did do that. I, I sucked it up for years, for years and years. And every so often, there would be a break and there would be a floodgate that would open up. But then, so then all this, all this stuff would just come out and I wouldn't have control over it. Or I felt like I didn't have control over it because I'd been pushing it down for so long. But then once that floodgate opened up, then the shame of feeling anxiety and not getting it together, because people would look at you, get your shit together, would put me right back in the same pattern of just suck it up. Because it was just all in my head. And I'm the one who needs to deal with it. I'm the problem. Everybody else is coping just fine. So it's all about me. So I didn't decide to highlight anxiety just because it's my issue or because I've seen it being an issue or it is an issue within my immediate and surrounding family. I'm highlighting anxiety because it's what I've seen throughout my career. So I'm just going to highlight a little stat here from, from the Public Health Canada that in 2013, that's not very long ago, an estimated 3 million Canadians, which is 11.6%, aged 18 and older. We're not even counting kids here. 3 million Canadians, 11.6%, aged 18 and older, reported that they had mood and anxiety disorder. So depression and anxiety are one of the most prevalent mental health problems in Canada. And since COVID-19, the results um, have largely increased um, with anxiety and depression. An expert had already warned of an echo pandemic of mental health problems. And this is something that we're seeing now, currently. And to be honest, I only have to look at our local newspaper to see the, obit the obituary section. The impact of the pandemic on mental health, drug overdose, and suicides. And the amount of people that I've worked with over the years to see them pop up and knowing what their struggles were over the years, it wasn't hard to figure out. So what is anxiety exactly? Anxiety is an emotion and it's characterized by feelings of tension, worried thoughts, and physical changes like increased blood pressure. People with anxiety disorders usually have this reoccurring intrusive thoughts and concerns. They may avoid certain situations out of worry. They may also have physical symptoms such as sweating, trembling, dizziness, or a rapid heartbeat. And what do we know about emotions, which we covered in episode one of Feelings and Emotions? 
Well, one, we are activated by one of our senses, which triggers a feeling. So our senses, our sight or sound or taste, um, our touch, and depending on our tribal beliefs, or pardon me, depending on our tribal beliefs and our past experiences, we will have thoughts around that activated or triggered feeling, which will then become an emotion. Emotions are psychological states, a mental state that is brought on by neurophysiological changes. So our nervous system and our body response and various, um, and these are associated with various thoughts, feelings, and behavioral responses and a degree of either pleasure or displeasure. And we know that thoughts impact our emotions and emotions impact our thoughts. Now, if you were someone who was struggling with anxiety, those thoughts become a repetitive tape playing in our head. So, and I'll use the example, I'm dating myself here. Remember in the 80s when we had these cassette tapes and when we played those cassettes, cassette tapes, it's not like how it is now where if you want to listen to a song, um, whether it be on a CD, which I don't even know if people use CDs anymore. I think everything is online or on our smartphones. Um, but if you want a song, you just check the song and you play it. Well, back when we had cassette tapes, it didn't work that way. We had to actually rewind to hear the song that we wanted to play. And mostly it was, you know, usually when you have a tape um, and you have a favorite one, you just kept pre um, pressing record and replay and replay and replay. It's the same thing when somebody is playing a tape in their head. Okay. When somebody's dealing with anxiety, not just anxiety, even anger as well, we can use anger with this. When you play that story in your head over and over and over again, it's you're rewinding it to replay it. And each time you rewind it to, be, to replay it, that story ends up growing bigger and bigger and bigger until it's very difficult to decipher what part of the story is true and which part of these worries have I've increased with the thinking that's been going on in my head. Now, if you're someone who's been struggling with anxiety for years and years like I have, there's a high probability that you have been doing exactly what people have been telling you to do over and over again. And what you've been conditioned to do is suck it up. And what do we know about sucking it up? Sucking it up doesn't work. Why? And I've gone through this on emotions, uh, feelings and emotions in the first episode. So rather than pushing the feelings away, we are, we are holding on to them. So when somebody tells you to suck it up or when you tell yourself to suck it up, it's not going away. Sucking it up means that you are holding on to that. And then you're storing them within your body until there is what I call an eruption, an overflow, or a disconnect, or eventually all three happen. And we observe this overflow through the increase of physical pain that people experience from sucking it up, dealing with anxiety after experiencing trauma. We observe the eruption through the explosive angry behavior and outburst. We observe the disconnect by lack of empathy and just apathy towards those around us. 
So when you're sucking it up, it becomes too much. And if you're somebody who's dealing with anxiety with lots of thoughts going on and being told that it's bullshit, it's all in your head, it's all your problem, you continue sucking that up, trying to figure out a way on how you can fix this problem so you don't feel so ugh inside, where you feel like you're going to constantly explode. Because most likely, again, if you're somebody with anxiety, you just like to please people. You don't like the conflict. You just want easy peasy, easy going. So you'll agree with almost anything just so that there's no conflict. And I have to say, everyone experiences anxiety at some point in their life. It's a normal emotion to experience. And anxiety is act and is actually a protective factor for us. It protects us when we are put in a fight or flight response, when there's anticipated danger. So there's a level of anxiety that is healthy and normal and protects us. But usually it's very short-lived. And once, once we become in more of a state of calm, there's usually a resolution to that to the situation or the problem at hand. Anxiety becomes a problem because of the thinking pattern, which affects the physical, emotional, mental, and behavioral response. And it becomes more persistent, it becomes more consistent and acute, and it takes over the individual's lives where they find themselves having a difficult time with work, social settings, family, and then they just start to isolate themselves and disconnect because they like to please people as well. When you like to please people, that means if you have 10 or 20 people in your life, every single person is different. Everybody has different wants and different needs. So if you're trying to please 10 or 20 different people in your life, it's not going to work. Eventually you're going to disconnect because it becomes too much of an overload. So, and with anxiety, there's, there's different categories with anxiety. You can have a specific phobia where there's a fear of something, there's panic attacks, um, generalized anxiety disorder or social anxiety disorder, um, selective mutism and separation anxiety disorders. And some of these we see with children, if they've experienced some, um, trauma or anybody who've experienced any trauma, really, um, it's that our body is protecting us from whatever has happened. And so we create these scenarios in our mind that we anticipate is going to happen because we think we need to protect ourselves. And people with anxiety disorders may feel anxious most of the time or sometimes for just brief, intense periods. So, and that's where, you know, you're trying to keep it together, keeping it together. And then all of a sudden there's a panic attack. Um, because you haven't resolved whatever you were dealing with. And they may have anxious feelings that are so uncomfortable that they avoid their daily routine. And I've been there, where it's not knowing what to expect or anticipating what you think is going to happen. So then it's just like, this is way too much work. This is way too much energy. I don't know if I can make everybody happy, so I'm just going to bow out. And those activities that might cause these feelings of of anxiety. And again, I mentioned some people will have anxiety attacks so intense that they're terrifying and immobilizing. 
because it can mimic a heart attack as well. So, you know, and I, I worked with somebody who, when I worked in child welfare, this is when I worked out in BC, and when you're not connected, when you're not, you know, I talked about this in my meditation video, episode three, about being centered and being connected. And when you're not connected, because you don't want to feel those feelings, and I think that happens a lot with people with anxiety, I know it did for me anyway, because you don't like those feelings, because you're constantly in that state of panic, or that something's going to happen, you disconnect. So you're not your head and your body really aren't connected and they're not communicating because your head is telling your body, suck it up, buttercup. And your body's saying, I can't, I can't, I have to release this. And your head's telling them, this is all in your head. Suck it up, deal with it. And when your feedback coming back is the same thing, then that's just creating more anxiety because people are telling you, look what's wrong with you. Deal with your shit. Get your shit together. And you're like, I'm trying to get my shit together. What's wrong with me? Why can't I get my shit together? You know, so that just creates more of the anxiety. And then when you're told that there's these certain methods that you need to use and you've used them and they don't work, that just amplifies that feeling of, I'm really messed up. I'm completely broken because even what the professionals are telling me what to do is not working. So what the hell is going on? And when I say disconnected, what I mean by that is that our brain is not listening to what our body is telling us. So the scenario that I was about to say when a colleague had come into work, she thought it was like any other day no worries or so she said there was no worries and sat down and got ready to go to work and then all of a sudden it was this huge blown panic stressful attack that was going on and so we had to call the ambulance or the ambulance was called in and she ended up being off for quite a few months um and not dealing with um the anxiety or the stress that was going on with her day-to-day job as a child welfare worker. And the other thing we're dealing with people with anxiety disorders, it's not like they're oblivious to what's going on. We know that our thinking is irrational and excessive in nature. We know it. We know these fears are not rational. And when it comes for treatment, many of them say, and we will say, I know my fears are unreasonable, but I can't make them stop. I say, well, just stop thinking. (laughs) Okay, I tried that. I tried not thinking and it didn't work. So everybody who's dealing with anxiety or a diagnosed anxiety disorder, there are signs and symptoms that may come up, but that doesn't mean that they will relate to everybody um, because everybody is different. And I can't stress this enough. Um, I've been through enough (laughs) counseling and um, cognitive behavior modification therapy um, and and I'm not um, discounting them at all. They do have a lot of benefits Um, and I, I think that with cognitive behavior you almost need that as a stepping ground to kind of move up into getting into a more in-depth healing process when it comes to this. Um, But it's limiting. And it's limiting because you're dealing with people with their own set of tribal beliefs as well, even in the professional world. 
everybody has their own tribal beliefs. And if they don't put those tribal beliefs on the table and examine them, those, tri those tribal beliefs become enmeshed when you're seeing somebody for treatment. And I found that you have to be careful that you're not imposing your own beliefs onto somebody else. And it's hard to do because we have our egos going on that, you know, yeah, but I've been to school and, you know, I'm, I'm one of them as well. I'm a social worker. I know what I'm talking about. You know, I've done child welfare. I, I know what parenting is all about. I know probation. I know what criminals are all about. I know behavior modification. But what happens is we're still dragging in our experiences. And when it comes to trauma or anxiety or anger or abuse, if you don't take the time to really listen to what the individual is telling you, you're going to miss opportunities. If you're going to push your own agenda, there's going to be missed opportunities there. And when you're dealing with somebody with anxiety, because they're so in their head and they so want to fix what's wrong with them because they know how people are seeing them or they think they know what, how people are seeing them, they're going to do everything and anything that you tell them to do until they're exhausted. And then when they're exhausted and you keep telling them to do things and they're not doing it, it's because their mind and body is so disconnected and they've tried all these things from these experts or these professionals that aren't working that they finally disconnect. So with anxiety, you have those irrational and excessive fears those apprehensive, intense feeling, and they really take hold of your body, where at times it feels like you can't even move or breathe. The difficulty of managing daily tasks or distress related to these tasks, the feeling overwhelmed. And I struggle with that every single day. When I look at the list of things that I want to accomplish for the day, and if it becomes too overwhelming because now it's like, and I don't even realize, I'm thinking, ooh, how am I going to get this all done today? All of a sudden, my system shuts down. And then I don't know where to start because it becomes too overwhelming. And the cognitive, behavioral, and physical symptoms that we'll see. So the anxious thoughts, I'm losing control. You know, you'll have those thoughts where, oh my God, I'm losing control. I'm losing control. How do I gain control? How do I control my breath? How do I make sure that I don't explode? Anxious predictions. I'm going to fumble my words and humiliate myself. I'm going to embarrass my family. People keep looking at me. Or people projecting their anxiety onto other people. You know, behave yourself. I don't want you embarrassing me in front of my friends. Be careful what you say. I don't want you embarrassing me in front of my employer. You know, those kinds of things as well. Anxious beliefs. Only weak people get anxious. Avoiding or feared situations. Not attending events for fear that once again you're going to be judged. Or um, if you already have a sense that I'm not good enough and you're going to these events and you've been feeling like nothing you do is good enough, then all of a sudden it's just like I... I'm out. I'm out. Because that anxiety feeling becomes too much. And eventually your body just wears down. 
Because remember what I said, our thoughts affect our feelings and our emotions, our emotions affect our thoughts. And one of the things that I talked about a bit is our energy level. And the more thinking that we do, the more we're in our in our heads and the more we're trying to figure things out, that's energy that we're using. So to see somebody who's anxious, who's absolutely exhausted and depleting, I get it. I understand where that's coming from. And again, avoidance of activities um, that elicit sensation that's similar of those experienced when anxious. So um, even activities that um, mimic anxiety, um, like uh, even exercising. Here's an example. If you're excited, if you used to be excited about exercising and now you're not excited, but you're feeling more anxious, a lot of times those anxiety and actually excitement kind of mimic each other a little bit in body sensations. Um, And when you're dealing with anxiety and as soon as you get that ping of what you think is anxiety, you end up turning into anxiety, even if it is something that used to excite you. And avoidances, avoiding people, avoiding situations, and even safety factors. You know, as a probation officer and having um, the knowledge that I did in working with high-risk individuals, for me, that created anxiety whenever I would go out in public with my children and not not wanting people to see who I was or who my children were because of that fear and the excessive physical reaction so your heart racing and feeling of shortness of breath what are the causes exactly of anxiety and you know there's a lot of discussion around that whether it be a combination of biological factors so biology or genes um, psychological factors or challenging life experiences and I think you know I come from a very uh, systems approach and by systems I mean that An individual isn't just an individual because they're born that way. Um, You know, you have your your genes, so your biology, your environment, how you were raised, how you interpret certain situations because everybody's different. So there's a whole combination of factors. And to just say that there's one cause for anxiety, I think, is setting people up. And we also need to look at the inherited trauma as well. You know, we hear a lot of that right now, um, especially in the um, with the Indigenous communities and with the residential schools and the abuse and the murders that they had, that they dealt with, that they, they're still dealing with, um, and how that inherited trauma is passed on from generation to generation. Because if you've experienced trauma and you're sent back into a home to raise children, but you've never been taught ways to do, uh, to, to raise your children, you're just going to repeat the same behavior. And it's the same thing. It's my same belief for anxiety. If you're raising your children in an anxious mode, then you're showing them that there's a whole lot of things to be anxious about. And so you're passing on that anxiety as well. So there are stressful and traumatic life events. There's family history of anxiety disorders. There's childhood development issues, so childhood trauma. 
um, alcohol medication and illegal substance abuse, my experience in working in child welfare and probation, anxiety I found in depression are really, there's a lot of relation between substance abuse and anxiety and depression. Now, what I don't want to do is present anxiety like a blanketed everybody who experiences anxiety experiences it this way, the way I've talked about. Now, women experience anxiety differently than men do, and children experience anxiety differently than adults do. And also taking into consideration what an individual's personal experience has been growing up and how they interpreted that information is key. Now, the one thing I want to stress is that if you are dealing with anxiety, the one important thing to do is to actually talk about it which is very difficult for somebody who's dealing with anxiety. Um, Talking doesn't come naturally. Um, Because of the fears that are going on, that are playing on those tapes that I talked about before, when those tapes keep playing, there's also a fear that talking about what's going on in your head is you're going to be judged. And if you're struggling with anxiety, the one thing you don't want to do is be judged. And the one thing that I notice that is going on a whole lot um, through social media, through the pandemic, and I notice it with young our younger generation now with the access that they have on social media and the constant flooding of judgment and how they should be or how they should present themselves and all the fakeness and the, you know, and we wonder why they're not coping and they're struggling. When you have um, an unrealistic representation of what life is and you're internalizing that, that this is how life should be, or this is how I should look, that's going to create anxiety. And the more judgment that we put on it, the more it increases the anxiety in people. So really just, if you don't understand anxiety, or you don't want to understand it, fair enough. That's cool. Not going to force anybody to have to listen to anybody who's struggling with it. The reason why I talk about anxiety is if you don't understand it, but you want to understand, it's just about being present and just listening without judgment. Just listen to what the person has to say without putting your judgment or your say-so in it. Allow that person to talk so that they can process what's actually going on in their head so then they can decipher whether or not it's true. By giving people the space to express what's going on without constantly judging them or constantly asking them why they're doing it a certain way. 
When we ask somebody why, I understand because we're trying to figure out the process ourselves. So if I'm doing something out of the ordinary, it's probably because I was taught how to do a certain activity a certain way. And I'll give an example of cooking, for example. You know, when I go into the kitchen, it's a mess. I go in, I'm focused on doing what I have to do, but yet I'm also grabbing things all over the place. Whereas my significant other is extremely organized. You know, it's one thing after another, it's clean up where I'm the complete opposite. Now, if you were to ask, why do you do it that way? Why don't you keep it tidier? Why don't you have a certain process in doing it? Well, because this is how I was taught and this is how my process and my systems process works. So if I'm going to change the way I do my process to satisfy somebody else, now I've just added on an extra activity that I need to change to be like somebody else. I hope that makes sense, what I'm saying. Um, I know that those who are struggling with anxiety, I think that they're going to relate to this episode. And it's really just to take the time to be compassionate with yourself and to those around you who need that space to speak um, or to talk about what's going on with the thoughts in their head. And I'll also refer you back to episode three on why meditation is important. This is where when you're struggling with anxiety and you're looking at tools to help you calm yourself down so that you can address the thinking patterns, meditation is really a good way to start because it allows you to connect with your breath to bring you in that calm state so that you're not in that fight or flight anymore. You're in what we call the cognitive brain. When you're in fight or flight, you're in survival mode. So you're not thinking rational. It's not going to happen. It's shut down. If you want to get into the cognition, the logical brain, you need to bring yourself in a calmer state. If you have any questions or any comments about the podcast today, please leave me a message, um, contact me through my webpage or through my email and or leave a comment. I would really love to hear from you and I want to hear if this resonates with you. Is what I'm saying make any sense to you? Am I missing some pieces that you would like to hear about? Because in the future, I'd also like to break down anxiety in how we see anxiety with children and how we see them with women and how we see them with men, because it is different. But we're going to take that up in another time. Um, But my next episode, what I'm going to be dealing with, because I've talked about it quite often, 
is energy. And what do I mean when I'm talking about our body energy and when it's depleted, how it impacts us, not just our physical body, but how it impacts our mental health and how it impacts how we get through our day. Thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. And please leave comments. I really do want to hear what you have to say and if this resonates with you. Cheers, everybody.